0: Uh, my question is, uh, this might seem trivial, but what is our obsession with Mars? Why does everybody want to go there? Like, what's the idea behind all that?
1: Uh, it's, it's, the, um, it's the most Earth-like planet in terms of oh, Earth is uniquely hospitable to life. And Venus is the same size as the Earth, but it's got a temperature of 900 degrees Fahrenheit, an atmosphere with sulfuric acid and all kinds of nastiness. Mars will kill you slower than any other planet. Let's put it that way. It's the uh, it's the, the most hospitable besides Earth. Um, in in the secular and it's close too. It's one of the clo- Venus is a little closer, but again, you're not gonna find, you're not gonna find life on Venus. They used to think so before they realized the surface temperature is 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Mars has a lot of Earth-like features. Maybe you've seen. I mean, I showed you one, but you've, if you've seen these other ones. It looks the, the landscapes look eerily like the Earth, but they're completely devoid of vegetation and things like that. So if you were to set up a colony, Mars would be the place to go. It's got a 24-hour, 36-minute day, so it's, the rotation's real similar to Earth. In fact, a little, little longer. That'd be kind of nice. You could sleep in an extra half an hour every day. It would never catch up with you, so that's kind of nice. Uh, blue sky most of the time. Sometimes it's pink because it kicks up the dust. Um, and then it's the planet. In, in the secular view, it's the planet that they would think that if, if life were to evolve elsewhere, it would evolve on Mars. And so there's a big push for that. And I don't think they'll find life on Mars uh, unless it's Earth microbes that have been transported there, which can happen. Microbes can get kicked up in the atmosphere, blown away by solar wind. It's theoretically possible. But they'll be Earth microbes. So I don't expect to find life on Mars. But that's one of the big pushes for it is to find life. And because it's the planet that uh, if, if human beings ever set foot on another planet, Mars will be first. I don't know that that will happen, but it'd be cool. Yeah. Hi. Um, my name's Heather.
2: And my husband, Josh, over there um I wanted me to ask what your favorite dinosaur was and my special needs brother also is interested in dinosaurs so we were get, thinking about getting him the dinosaur book and oh, okay to ha- help make a connection more with the bible do you have any other recommendations that could help him with that in special needs or
1: uh the, certainly the dinosaurs dvd would be great and um there are a number of different creationist resources on dinosaurs at various levels. So you, we, we might have some in the uh, for the youngsters because we brought some. It's, you know, there's a range. There's youngsters, there's teenagers, and so on. And but I'm I'm a grown-up and I like dinosaurs. Uh, Do you have so a any, one? any of those would be good. Say again.
2: Do you have a favorite? Do I have
1: a favorite? Okay. Pro- well, maybe the sauropod, just because they're so big. It's just impressive. I think that's an amazing creature. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so you said that uh, chances are there's no life on Mars, but no. God designed uh, only the human as an like the ultra special like in His image uh, being. Uh-huh. So, wouldn't it be possible elsewhere in the universe for like plants or basic animals to exist? Yes, it's possible. I, I don't think that they will, but it's possible. I mean, who knows what God created? It's just when I when I look to the scriptures. Uh, Most of the things that God, if not everything that God made on the earth is for our benefit. We're given dominion over the birds and over the beasts. But uh, you're right. I can't can't dogmatically say there's no life uh, beyond the earth. I don't expect to find um, sentient human-like beings. I don't expect to find Vulcans and Klingons out in space as much as I I like sci-fi. And I do like sci-fi. But I don't think the real universe will be that way because then you run into some theological problems. But you're right. There's no theological problem with finding plants out in space that that I can think of anyway. Okay, thank you. Yep. I would like to meet a Klingon. (laughs) Dr.
0: Lyle, uh, one of the engineering courses I took on an undergraduate level was dynamics. Mm -hmm. The math was very steep. You and I could talk about that all night. But one of the things I came away with, uh, aside from the mathematical material that was necessary, was the decay of uh, an orbit, Mm -hmm. the decay of one body orbiting around another. My theory that I came out from with that and the, uh, the professor did not dispute was that over th- 6,000 years, the rate of decay of the Earth's orbit around the sun is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But over millions of years, we should have been sucked into the sun by now. Does my theory hold water with you?
1: I'd have to, I'd have to look at the details. They're, they're, um, the, the dragging force on the Earth by the sun is very small. And so even on a billion-year time scale, that might not be an issue. But there is a related issue that is a huge problem for the billions of years, and that's the uh, spiraling out of the moon mm-hmm. because of tidal forces. So the, there is a transfer of angular momentum from the Earth to the moon mm-hmm. because the Earth rotates faster than the moon, and so the, the moon steals some of its energy and moves out. And I've done the math on that, in running it backwards, and it's, it's a... Uh, the tidal relationship, it's a 1 over R to the 6th power relationship. So it's very steep. And, and if you run it back 1.4 to 1. 4 1.5 billion years, they're in the same place at the same time. Gotcha. So that is an issue. And that one I've checked, so I know it's an issue. So
0: that's a good argument point mm-hmm. for the for the 6,000-year universe. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Hi, good evening, and uh, thank you for presenting. I thought your My presentation pleasure. was really comprehensive, so I can appreciate you. that. Um, I'm wondering if there's so little...
2: Scientific evidence to support evolutionary theory. Why do so many scientists like support it, or why does it have so much traction?
1: Uh, The answer is real simple. What else, (laughs) right? I mean, the only alternative is creation, and they don't want it. They don't go that go that way. Some of them admitted that they've said, you know, just you know, we accept. What was the famous quote? And I forget who said it, but a famous secular scientist. He says, you know, we accept all these things despite their apparent uh, absurdity because we dare not allow a divine foot in the door. Wow. So there is a motivation um, among those who have actually studied the issue. Now I have to tell you that most scientists who believe in evolution have never really studied the issue. Okay. They believe it because they think all the other scientists believe it. Okay. That's really true and I've, I've talked with enough of them I know that's the case. But of those who have actually studied it and continue to believe it anyway, it's because they, they don't want to accept creation. That's really what it comes down to.
3: Thank you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I want to try to get this small small not a lot of words but my son has an issue with um not with the flood being worldwide but but how there's fossils of very large animals on multiple continents (laughs) so when god created the animals did he create them on all the continents or was it how did they get from maybe the garden of eden and get to the continents
1: it's, uh, it's the reverse is a little bit more of an issue because we think most creationists think this. It's not directly stated in the Bible, but we think the continents were all connected before the flood. So we do believe in something like Pangaea. Uh, it's actually creationists who promoted that idea, and the secularists were initially against it until they figured they could slow it down by a factor, of, you know, millions. But we think that the con- we think there was a supercontinent before the flood. So getting all the animals to the ark arch- cake, and then uh, they're pushed apart. And then the question is, how do they get to their current locations? And that's a little trickier, but not terribly so, because we believe that there was an ice age that followed after the global flood and was caused by the global flood. It's the secularists that have a problem uh, how, how you can get an ice age. They tend to rely on things like uh, uh, Milankovitch cycles and things like that, which have all kinds of problems. But a flood, a worldwide flood, naturally causes an ice age. Um, I can go into more details on that if you're interested, but we do have resources on it. And during the ice age, the water levels are lowered, so some things are connected by land bridges and ice bridges. And so, and even even secularists will admit that certain things, like the Bering Strait, was once connected you know, by ice.
3: Thank so you.
1: that's how they would get to their current locations.
3: Is there a particular book that you have here that might Talk about
1: that topic. I don't. Th- it, 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 I'm sure it's in one of the uh, the answers for teens books. Okay. But yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I've written on that. I've, I've had it on our website. If you go to our website, right. there's articles. Thank so you on so that. much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Hi. Um. Will the Earth ever? Look- Com- will the moon ever
0: completely leave Earth's gravitational pull?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Will the moon ever completely leave Earth's gravitational pull? No, it won't. What would happen, and this would take a long time, um, if, if, if God were just to allow things to continue as they are, the moon would, would continue to move out, and, and it's slowing the Earth's rotation a little bit too. And eventually it would come, come to the point where they would both match, and they would both face each other. And at that point it would not spiral away anymore. So but I think God probably has some intervention to do in the meantime. Yeah: yeah.
0: Uh, Thank you for what you do, Dr. Kyle. Um, Pleasure. I, uh, my, my brother believes in a flat Earth and uh. Uh, embraces all those. And, you know, I, uh, it, it's kind of comical. I've, I've, I've since heard other people say that um, someone who embraces uh, that theory uh, embraces all of the conspiracy theories, and Son of the Gun, I think uh, that, that's that's true. But anyway, uh, is there a verse or two that are perfect for addressing that? And do you perhaps have a book that would be appropriate for that?
1: Yes, and yes, the um, the verse that I think is probably best. You you could argue Isaiah forty twenty two, but which talks about the circle of the earth. But they could say, well, yes, but that's a disc. So. I think the one that's really hard to get around would be Job 26.10. Job 26.10 says that God inscribes a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. And that's a reference to what we call the, the Terminator, which is where light stops on the earth. And the, the only shape on which that's always a circle is, is a sphere. So Job 26.10 I think is a good okay. verse. And then the resource we have, my, my uh, colleague over at Answers in Genesis, Dr. Danny Faulkner, he's also an astronomer and a good friend of mine, he wrote a book on it uh, called Falling Flat. And it's, it's so good, we, we stock it at the Biblical Science Institute. I also should point out, too, I have a couple articles on our website uh, on that topic, and one of them shows tests that you can do to measure the curvature of the earth. So you don't have to take somebody's word for it. You can, you, there are scientific tests you can do and uh, And it 'll show you what what the difference would be in terms of the star positions and such if the earth 's flat versus if it 's round
0: uh, thank you my my brother uh, uh, jokes seriously with us about uh, how you can set up uh, a laser and this and that and how it shows that it 's flat and uh, what can I say? Yeah,
1: well, Danny's, Danny Falkner's book answers that. Yeah. Uh, You've got to be a little bit careful with those, that, those experiments that are very close to the surface of the Earth because of atmospheric refraction. It can bend the light. So light, light doesn't travel in a perfectly straight line. It can bend a little bit. So the, the ones I put in my article are ones that are higher up. You can measure the position of the sun or stars. And that's not affected by refraction very much at all. So that, that would be a better experiment to do. I, I live in Colorado Springs, so I can go up to Pikes Peak and I can see the, the earth. It's, it's pretty spectacular. So, But for people who don't have that advantage, there are experiments you can do. Thanks. My pleasure.
3: Yeah. Um, so I'm in 10th grade now. So I've been in.
1: I can't hear you. Could you step a little closer?
3: I'm in 10th grade now. Okay. So I've kind of dealt with, like, the high school and elementary versions of science. And I was wondering what your opinion was of how they're kind of just basing everything off of evolution and when you bring up the fact that it's not really possible, that they'll fight you to the end of it.
1: Yeah, well, um, a lot of the science that you're taught in school, well, I don't know. It may be different now. School's changed since when I was in it. But a lot of what I got in school was good science. And some evolutionary stories. And so you just got to be discerning. That's, that's the key. You got to, real science, operational science is something that's testable and repeatable in the present. And so when we talk about the composition of a rock or things like that, things that we can do in the present, um, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that because I can test it. It's testable. And that's a, that's a Christian principle anyway. The scientific method is based on the Presupposition that God upholds the universe in a in a organized way that we can probe and and we'll get the same answer because of the God's consistency because He doesn't change. So you just need to learn to be discerning between um, those things that are just stories about the past and those things that are genuine science. Did that, did that answer your question, or do you want to follow up?
3: Um, so how would you like try to like how would you try to sort it out? And instead of just sitting in a class all day and be like. You're not really learning anything. How would you recommend that you find the alternatives? Okay. The
1: How would I sort it out? How, um, well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with learning a story. I, you know, when I, I, Even in grad school, I don't believe in the Big Bang, but I was taught the Big Bang, and I, I understand it. I understand why they believe it. I understand why I reject it. So there's nothing wrong with learning a story. You just need to remember that it's a story if it's contrary to God's word. We have, we have a history book. This is written by eyewitnesses. We have, we have the birth certificate of the universe. So that's the thing to, to keep in mind. And, and, the, way, and it, the way I sort out um, origins science from operational science, is this telling me something about the present that I can test and repeat? Or is this a story about what happened a long time ago? And if it's a story that, about what happened a long time ago, that's okay, but it might be fiction. So that's, that's the thing you need to, to keep in mind. Help? Yes.
0: Thank
2: you. Okay, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to know what your view on, like, aliens and extraterrestrial life was.
1: Uh, yeah, I, um, I, don't, I don't think we're going to find life out in space. Um, I, could, I could be wrong. God could make plants or animals. I don't think we're going to find intelligent life out in space because, you know, civilizations, things like that, like you see on Star Trek, is as entertaining as that is. And I, and I do like science fiction. There's nothing wrong with uh, watching that as long as you understand what it is. But I don't expect to find Vulcans and Klingons because uh, then you run into some theological problems. Because remember, it's it's because we're descended from Adam that we have that sin nature. We need we need redemption, um, and it's because we're related to Christ. He's a descendant of Adam too. That he that he can pay for our sins on the cross. But you see, uh, Commander Worf, he's out of luck because he's a Klingon and he's not related to Jesus. And so you say, well, maybe the Klingons never sinned. Well, then they're suffering the effects of the curse. And that's, you know that, that doesn't make sense because we were never given dominion over them. We were given dominion over the animals because uh, the Bible says all creation groans under a bondage of corruption. You say, well, maybe Jesus went to the Klingon homeworld and became one of them and died for them. No, because the Bible says he died once for all. He was raised incorruptible, so he's never going to die again. So w- one of the things when you read the Bible, it is, uh, it's very clear that, that human beings have a very special place in God's creation. We're made in his image, and that's not said of anything else in creation. Think about it this way, too. This is kind of interesting. If you think of all the different planets that are out there, you realize Earth is three days older than any other planet because Earth's made on day one. God spent five of the six creation days working the Earth, putting life on its surface, plants. takes one day, day four, it makes everything else, sun, moon, stars also. And that would include other planets because the Hebrew word for stars uh, would include planets as well. So Earth really is very special. And it's in Isaiah forty-five eighteen. it says God formed the Earth to be inhabited. So that tells us that this is a very special place. So I don't expect to find life out in space.
3: Okay, thank
2: you. Mm-hmm. I um, had a question about uh, or just knowledge in general. Like in um, Genesis 3, 7, it says that um, the eyes of both of them were opened. And so when God came walking, they hid themselves. So they're just the knowledge itself separating or creating a challenge. I mean, uh, just knowledge itself. which Because one possibility is if uh, Christianity can't deal with, uh, just suppose evolution was right. If Christianity can't deal with evolution, then people are going to uh, lose their faith. Just knowledge itself. Could, um, cause uh, people to lose faith?
1: Well, you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. So uh, God's mind is not like ours. Our mind discovers knowledge. God's mind is the source. And so all the knowledge that we have, directly or indirectly, is from God. And there's different ways that he's communicated to us. And the, the most special, of course, is his, his word. But he's given us senses by which we can probe the universe and so on and so forth. the The real test for Adam and Eve was not whether or not they would have knowledge, but how they would acquire that knowledge. Would they do it in a way that's faithful to God? Would they learn about good and evil from God himself by reading about it or by experiencing it for themselves? And so that was the problem was they decided that their mind would be the ultimate determiner of truth. Now, uh, they, it ended up confirming what God said because, you know, he said you're going to die if you eat this, and they, they discovered that. But they acquired that knowledge in a way that was not consistent with God's character. Uh, God says, if you want to be like me, you need to obey me. And then Satan came along and says, no, if you want to be like God, disobey him. And they, they went for the, the Satan hypothesis, you see.
2: Yeah, so. I just see a pattern. I see, um, you know, knowledge causing uh, people to fall away from God in Genesis and, and perhaps today. That's-
1: okay, I, th- I think, um, n- well, knowledge can puff up, the Bible says. But genuine, genuine knowledge, knowledge of what's true, is, is only going to lead you toward God. So I would, th- I would call things like evolution, I would say that's not generally knowledge. I would call that a belief system. And, uh, it's, and it's, it's true that somebody can get so smart that they start relying on themselves. I've, I've seen that. Rather than having faith in God's word, that's, that's certainly true. But at the, same, at the same time, God gave us an intellect. We're supposed to use it, but we're supposed to use it in a way that's consistent with His character.
2: Yeah, I'm just wondering, if they, because they were naked, but they only knew that once they had knowledge, and that only caused a problem once well, they it, had that knowledge. It,
1: it wasn't a problem. It wouldn't have been a problem if they'd have been obedient to God, mm-hmm. right? Because the, their nakedness was because they felt shame for the first time. And there was no need to, for them to feel shame originally because they hadn't done anything wrong. They had a perfect union. Uh, with God, a perfect communion with God. And then when they sinned, when they rebelled against God, uh, yes, they knew they were they were naked, but they, 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 they felt shame for the first time because of their disobedience. So it's not the knowledge itself per se. It's the disobedience that was the problem. Sin, sin is the root of the problem rather than knowledge thereof. Okay. okay?
0: So you talked uh, earlier about the... Uh, the great flood in relation to the ice age and so forth. Are the other ages, iron age and bronze ages, are they also uh, biblically explainable?
1: Yes, although we would say that those are rather than ages, we would call those uh, cultures. The bronze age is a culture, the iron, age. and you know, one culture can be have one, one society can have one culture, while another culture living at the same time can be different. Okay, so they're not, they're not, they're not um, sequential the way the secularists would say. But yeah, I mean, human beings, the way we acquired knowledge was, was gradual. And the Bible mentions some of the, it's, although it's amazing how quickly it happened. Because if you if you look at, um, you know, the Bible mentions Jabel and Jubal, I think, uh, shortly after Adam. One of them, I think Jubal invented musical instruments. And so, you know, it's it's really amazing what, what human beings have been able to come up with. And then a lot of that had to be rediscovered after the flood when, you know, the humanity was reduced to eight people and whatever knowledge and books that they had with them at that time. But, yeah, we can account for those things, too. Thank you. Yep.
2: I had a question about heaven. Mm -hmm. I do believe there's a heaven, and it says it in the Bible. And also, too, when people die, they go up to heaven. Sometimes they have, like, experiences, and then they come back down. I'm wondering, like, as far as evidence to support it, is it because somebody has to die and then go to heaven, and is that the only way that they support it?
1: Okay, well, if you were to, if you were an empiricist, if you believed all knowledge was gained by sensory observation, then the only way you could know about life after death is to die and come back. And that doesn't happen very often, although it has happened a few times in history. We can read accounts of that in scripture. But I'm not an empiricist. I don't believe that that's the only way we can get knowledge is by observation. Uh, one of the, the best way we can get knowledge is by uh, listening to God's word. Jesus tells us about heaven, and he's God, he's, so he, he knows exactly what, it, what it's like. Of course, the word heaven, we've got to be a little careful there, too, because it has multiple meanings in Scripture. It can refer to the sky, but I think you're referring to what's sometimes called the third heaven, the, the realm of God would be that. And we know, we know from Scripture uh, that to be uh, that if you're a believer, if you if you've trusted in Christ, the moment you die, you're with God, you're in His presence, and uh, no more problems thereafter. At the resurrection, we're actually going to live on the new earth. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and so we're going to re- live in a paradise restored. But that happens at the at the final resurrection. So heavens kind of a it's kind of a catch-all word for the realm of God, basically. Yeah. Hope that helps. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you mentioned when you were talking about the books and everything, you mentioned apologetics. And I'm just, maybe you have, like I understand apologetics to be apologizing. But we don't apologize for being a Christian, and we don't apologize for Christ and the belief of Christ. Right. So can you explain to me what the apologetics I guess ideology is.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that. I, I, I should I should have I should have mentioned that. It, it comes it goes back to actually a Greek term, apologia, which is the term that's used when um, the Bible says we're to be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks a reason for the hope that's in us. That word, answer, apologia, it actually the meaning is actually a a defense like you would make in a court of law. So if somebody accuses you of something and you make a defense of it, you're giving an Apology. And it's kind of ironic because that word has changed meaning in recent times. But if you read, for example, the, um, the apology that Plato wrote about uh, Socrates, the apology is not him saying, I'm sorry. He's saying, No, I'm innocent. Okay, so it's actually, it, it's weird. The word has become, has come to mean the opposite of what it originally meant. Okay. Uh, now it sort of means, I, I'm sorry for, I'm guilty and I apologize. Yeah. But that's not what the biblical word means. Apologia means a reasoned defense, a reasonable defense of the faith. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah.
3: I was wondering, what's your strongest argument against global warming, and how do I, as a Christian, balance taking care of the earth with knowing
1: that it's deteriorating and ultimately going to get destroyed? Ah, that's both good questions. Um, My best argument against global warming, come to Colorado sometime. (laughs) 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 On on the way out, we had a snowstorm last night, and I'm like, oh, really? And I was was driving very carefully this morning. So Um, global warming, in terms of the data, the Earth's temperature has gone up a little bit in the last century and a half. It's about a degree and a half. It's not a huge amount. The, um, the other thing that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, too, is that we know from historical records that the Earth's climate fluctuates. It's not constant. People think, oh, well, it's been constant throughout history and then the Industrial Revolution and then it's just ramping up. That's not the case. There was what was called the Little Ice Age, which happened in Europe in the uh, what, late 1600s, I think, and it corresponded with a period of fewer sunspots on the spun called the uh, Mondor Minimum. So it, ter- it turns out that when the sun has more spots on it, it actually puts out a little more energy, which is a little surprising. It's kind of the opposite of what you think. And the Earth's temperature goes up a little bit. So the it, the, the sun has far more to do with the Earth's temperature than anything human beings have ever done or could do. Because, uh, I mean, you've got this, this fusion bomb out there in space. So uh, I, I, I'm not convinced that human beings have contributed in a major way to global warming. That might have been a, a small component. But we're putting out carbon dioxide, yes. And carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, but it's a mild greenhouse gas. Uh, far more um, effective is water vapor. Water vapor traps in more heat than carbon dioxide does. And human beings only put out a little bit of carbon dioxide compared to, you know, a volcano goes off, it puts out more carbon dioxide than human beings do in an entire year. So uh, we have... We have an inflated sense of ourselves. We think we're, we're doing all these things that maybe we're not really doing so much. Um, I think we should have a balanced view about the planet. Because on the one hand, it, yeah, it's going to burn. God's going to destroy it and remake it. But at the same time, he did put us here to to be stewards of this planet. That was one of the, Adam's purposes was to keep the garden to rule over the the, the fish and the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and so on. So we do, we do have a responsibility to um, to be careful about our environment, but that I think that eliminates any alarmism. That and we have a promise from God in Genesis eight twenty two that there will be no catastrophic global warming or global cooling, because Genesis eight twenty two God promised. This is after the flood. God says, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night will not cease. Now that doesn't mean that this summer will be just as hot as last summer. He doesn't say that the climate's going to be constant. But that does eliminate any kind of runaway climate where, there, well, there's no harvest this year because it's a snowball. Nope, God promised there's always going to be seed diamond harvest. So that eliminates any kind of alarmist thinking. But we should be responsible as Christians. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Uh, I appreciate um, your uh, young earth, and I agree with that. Um, if I understand it correctly, people think that the earth is uh, billions of years old uh, – Give us evidence that the stars are so far away, and it would take light such a long time to get here. Did God create the stars and put that the rays of light at the same time, or how do you explain that?
1: It's a good question, um, and that is something that I answer in my book, *The Physics of mm-hmm. Einstein*. And that's kind of what it takes to answer that. It's hard to give a soundbite answer to that because the answer is complicated. But I don't think God made the beams. Mm-hmm. Um, because the God indicates that the stars were to produce light. And it says, and it was so, which indicates to me that they immediately produced light and it fell on the earth. Mm-hmm. That was the, one of the reasons. Now, how God did that, there's actually several ways he could have done it. But uh, one of them involves understanding that the uh, one-way speed of light, the speed of light in one direction doesn't have to be the same as another direction. And that surprises people. Mm-hmm. But it's because of the, 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 the way in which clocks are synchronized in the universe Uh, is different from what you might intuitively expect. And that's one of the things that Einstein discovered. It's called the relativity of simultaneity. And once you realize that principle, you realize that one-way speeds are a little bit conventional. They're actually conventional, meaning we can actually decide what the speed of light is in one direction, and then its reverse speed is determined by the the fact that the round-trip speed is required to be 186,282 miles per second in vacuum. So God determines the round-trip speed. Uh, we can determine the one-way speed. And the bottom line is you can get the, the stars genuinely emitted the light, and it's genuinely reached us. It's not It wasn't created on the way, and yet you can do that instantly, even today. It doesn't take billions of years. That's that's the bottom line. And if you want the details, uh, that's why I wrote the book, is to give you, give people enough knowledge of the physics of Einstein. It's It's not really a difficult book. I did put boxes in it. If you're a student of science and you want to go through the math, it's there. But you can skip it too if you just want to get the the principle of the thing, and it shows you how you can get that light here immediately, even today.
0: So basically, the speed in one direction is not the same as the speed
1: right. in the other direction. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's that's a very short okay. answer, but yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, is do you think that there could be a or was a planet in between Mars and Jupiter where the asteroid belt is today? That's a good question. It could have been formed by all those asteroids and other ones that flew in, well, other
2: directions.
1: That's a good question. I I don't think there was. I think the asteroids are pretty much the way they were at creation. For one thing, there's not enough mass in the asteroids to make a planet. One asteroid, Ceres, is the biggest, and it's about 600 miles across. If you add all the other asteroids together, to all, to add to all the Ceres, you'd just get a, a bigger asteroid. It would still not be big enough to be a planet. So there's not enough mass in there. So I think God made the asteroids to be pretty much the way they are today. They're, most of them are in between Mars and Jupiter. There are some that are orbit, in, in the same in Jupiter's orbit. They're called Trojans. And Asteroids are pretty interesting, but I think they're pretty close to the way they were at creation. Okay, thank yep, you. My pleasure
0: i have another question um this might be more of a medical question but since we're hearing from all the scientists i'll ask you what is the christian's perspective on the current pandemic from a scientist's uh standpoint and can you talk to, to that the, the origin maybe of it um, and and where it's going and, and how this all plays out
1: sure although you're gonna get me kicked off youtube
0: <laughs> we can just we can shut the video off right <laughs>
1: Just just so you know, I have a a podcast called Discerning Truth, which I have recently moved to Rumble, from YouTube to Rumble. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, two of the entries on that are on COVID. It just kind of gives you some information about it. Uh, One thing I would highly encourage you all to take, uh, a good dose of vitamin D. It's it's surprisingly effective against COVID. Vitamin D, and that's natural. Um, Vitamin C very helpful. Zinc can help prevent your cells from getting infected. Now, you can overdose on zinc, so make sure you look up the proper values on these things. Um, I've I've read 30 research papers on masks and whether or not they block viruses, and 29 of them said no, and two of them said perhaps a little bit, just so you know. They might have a little bit of an effect, but it's, it's not very much. Um, there's a there's a drug called ivermectin. Ivermectin. There have been studies that have shown that ivermectin alleviates COVID-19. If you get it, get some ivermectin. Ask your doctor to prescribe that for you. And that's that's now the the vaccine, which is technically not a vaccine because by definition a vaccine is supposed to take the virus or uh, a dead or um, rendered attenuated attenuated version of that virus, which you inject, and then your immune system knows how to deal with it. The current, the current vaccine really isn't that. It's actually gene therapy. It's, it's very clever. It's very ingenious. I don't want to knock the scientists who came up with the method of having your own cells produce the spike proteins, which your immune system then fights. Uh, but this, this has been tried on animals, and you can, I would recommend that you look up some of those studies because sometimes there are some side effects on that. So it's just something to be cautious about. So I'm not, so, I'm not telling you to take it or not to take it, but I would, I, would, I, would read in, I would read it a little bit on it first before you do that. Um, because not all the animal trials were successful with that. So it's just something to, something to think about. The mortality rate, if you're a healthy adult, is 0.05%, something like that. So most people, I mean, you get these death counts, and it looks astronomical. That's because uh, the way they count deaths is a little different for coronavirus than they do for anything else. If, you're, if you die and you're coronavirus positive, that counts, and if, if they think it contributed in any way. And so it makes the numbers look a little bit inflated. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And what else should I say about it? Uh, in the scope of history. Oh, like wow. <laughs> well, in the scope of, I mean, there was the Black Plague in the, what was it, 1300s, 1400s, um, which wiped out, you know, if, if you get that, there's like a 50% chance you're going to die. And if you think about that in comparison to what we have today, oh my, what we have today is is just nothing compared to that. Now, I, I don't want to minimize, it, you know, COVID can kill you. There's no doubt about that. And people have died from it. I don't want to minimize that. But it's still not, I mean, this, still the greatest, um, uh, the highest um, cause of death today is heart disease, followed by cancer. So, you know, we tend to think that, that all these other things have gone away and it's all about COVID now. So uh, my philosophy is you're not going to get out of this world alive. So enjoy your life and live for Jesus.
2: <laughs> Would you discuss the flood and the, uh, the killing off of the dinosaurs and whether there were humans at the same time, other than mm-hmm. Noah and his family. Mm-hmm. And then the asteroid that uh, landed in the Gulf of Mexico causing a flood.
1: Okay. I, I don't think that there the, – if you're referring to the, the Yucatan Peninsula and the, the potential uh, Chicxulub Crater, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Tim Clary, he's a geologist. He's looked into that. He thinks it's not an impact crater. He thinks it's something else. So, we, we don't think that an asteroid had anything to do with the dinosaur's death. Uh, dinosaurs would have lived at the same time as people because they're made on, they're a- land animals. Land animals are made on day six. Humans are made on day six. They lived at the same time. They lived at the same time as people. Uh, my, uh, my dinosaur DVD, by the way, if I can have a little shameless plug, that it, it, it'll go into more detail on that. But I think, um, there are some specific references to dinosaur or dinosaur-like animals. Uh, the creature described in Job chapter 40, verse 15, called Behemoth, which is the Hebrew word meaning beast of beasts. If you read the description of it, it sounds like a sauropod dinosaur. The ones with the long neck and the long tail, because it says it has a tail that moves like a cedar tree. So, uh, yeah, so I think there are specific ones described in there. They would have been, no, dinosaurs would have been on Noah's Ark, unless they'd already gone extinct. We don't think that, because we think the fossil, the rock layers in which dinosaurs are found are flood layers. So they were still around at the time of the flood, which means you'd have two of each kind on board the ark. How many dinosaurs would that be? We think there are about 60 kinds of dinosaurs, so probably 120 dinosaurs on the ark. And people think, well, they were huge. A few of them were huge. Most of them were small, like Compsognathus, which was the size of a chicken. That's all the bigger it got. And even some of the big ones, like the sauropods, we found found eggs from these things. And the eggs are about this big, which means those big dinosaurs started out very small because they had to fit in that egg. So it would make sense if God perhaps took some of the younger dinosaurs that had not reached their full size yet on board the ark. So those, those are some things to chew on. All of that's uh, in the dinosaurs uh, DVD. We'll get it. Okay, awesome.
0: Yeah. Okay, so like this might sound like basically the same question, but I was wondering if like the dinosaurs would like contradict with um, when God was creating like the seven days, because like they say they were like made millions and millions of year, years ago because of the fossils, but I feel like that's not true because the the, the earth hasn't existed that long.
1: Right. Good reasoning. And remember, a fossil's a dead thing. And death came into the world as a result of Adam's sin. Yeah. So any dinosaur fossil would be after Adam sinned. So they did live at the same time as people. And, um, and they lived and they died. They're just one of the creatures that we, we think they probably didn't live in the same areas typically as people. But originally they would have been vegetarian. That's something else that's mentioned in the DVD. Uh, Of course, most of them remained vegetarian. At some point, remember, originally all animals were vegetarian. Because when you eat meat, you're eating a dead animal. hate to break it to you. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, and there was no death originally. So originally everything was vegetarian. The Bible is pretty explicit explicit about that in Genesis 1, uh, 28, 29, where it talks about God giving the plants. So originally they would have been vegetarian. They would have been on Noah's Ark. They would have got off Noah's Ark. We think the environment was a bit different after the flood. And so we think dinosaurs gradually became extinct after the flood. But there, one of the things that I research, and again, it's in the Dinosaurs DVD, I've looked at other historical reports of people encountering, now they're not going to call them dinosaurs because that word wasn't invented until 1841. So they're going to call them something else and they're going to call them dragons. Yeah. And so if you look at these different historical accounts, and, and you know, people think, well, that's made up. If you, if you look at it, they describe certain kinds of dinosaurs. And so that uh, DVD goes into some of the details of some of the historical reports outside the Bible. Some of them are as recent as like four hundred years ago. That some of these might have still been around. Thank so, you. Yeah, my pleasure.
0: When Earth was created on day one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then planets and stars were created on day four. Mm-hmm. On day six, um, and how the closest star um isn't the closest star that's not our sun is like four light years away from Earth. Mm-hmm would Adam be able to go out at night and then see the closest star that's not the sun?
1: Yes, I believe so. That's a good question. That, that pertains to what was asked a little bit earlier, what's called the distant starlight issue. How did God get the light from those stars to the earth? And I think Adam could have seen a sky full of stars and even the Andromeda galaxy. I think he'd have been able to see that the first, the first evening and he went out and looked. So um, and the details are a little bit complicated, but I, that's why I wrote that book called The Physics of Einstein. If you want to study... Um, you, you need to study physics if you want to learn the details of how God got the light here. But he, he can do it quickly, even today. And it doesn't require anything supernatural, really. It just requires us to look at synchronization the way the, the Bible does. I know it's, it's kind of complicated. But yes, Adam could have seen, I think, he could have seen a full night night sky with all the stars. Apparently, God made the stars in Genesis 1, 14 and 15. God makes these lights to give light upon the earth, and it was so, the Bible says, which tells me they immediately began giving light on the earth.
0: Okay, thanks.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, when the earth is destroyed and then made again, what will happen to the entire rest of the universe?
1: Well, the Bible, that's a good question. The Bible says the, talks about the heavens being rolled up like a scroll, so maybe they'll be remade as well. I think of the the new earth a little bit like a, a resurrected earth because if you think about it you know this is this body going to exist forever well hopefully not like this right <laughs> but i'm going to but you know why do we bury our dead because we expect a resurrection but when you're resurrected you're resurrected it's kind of your it's is it the same body it kind of is but it kind of isn't right because it's now it's it's raised immortal incorruptible so i think the earth's going to be resurrected it's going to be destroyed it's going to die and be resurrected much like human bodies, and perhaps the same thing with the universe. Perhaps God will make the remake the universe as well, purging it of all sin. Hope that helps.
0: Thank Follow you. It? Sure.
2: Yeah. You know, I was wondering now, uh, where is the source of heat that creates all the volcanoes? And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that I've even seen volcanoes happening underneath the ocean mm-hmm. that come up. So how can you have so much heat generated if uh, there's no oxygen that, that's there? And secondly, I was just wondering, where did all the water go after the flood? Okay. Well, most
1: of it, the water is still here. That one's easy because uh, the earth's 70% covered with water. The, if you were to push down the continents – see, the, the reason the Earth's not flooded today is because it has relief. It has some places that are higher than others, the continents. But if you push down the continents into the ocean basins – If you were to even out all Earth's features, it would be covered with water to a depth of 1.6 miles. So there's plenty of water on the Earth. It's just that the continents are up above some of it. Uh, Dr. John Baumgardner has a really neat model for uh, how how plate tectonics worked, we think, during the flood year. And it's it's very compelling. We think the continents got pushed down a bit in the early stages of the flood. Water floods them. They get pushed apart. And then at the end of the flood, they they kind of bob back up a little bit. Because the continents are buoyant relative to the heavier... um, oceanic uh, crust. With regard to the heat, um, we, know, we know that the earth gets hotter as you go in. Okay? and There's various ways of detecting that, but the earth's core is apparently very, very hot it, we, we, based on the way sound waves move when you have earthquakes and things like that, seismology. So the, the heat is built in. Now where did it originally come from? There's different possibilities. Uh, one that's pretty simple is God could have made the earth already warm. And in 6,000 years it just hasn't had time to, to cool out yet. Uh, secularists don't like that explanation for obvious reasons, because if if, the Earth, if God just made the Earth's interior warm after billions of years, it'd be an icicle, and so they think that radioactivity. They, the secular explanation for your question is radioactivity has produced all the heat that's made the Earth's uh, core so hot. Uh, that's a speculation because we don't know what we don't know if there are radioactive elements in the Earth's core. I mean, nobody's gone down to sample them, uh, so we don't we don't really know that. So, uh, it could be, it could be that the Earth originally was, did not have the internal heat. And then during the flood year, uh, one, one of the mechanisms that God might have used to start the flood is accelerated radioactive decay. That will produce a lot of heat very quickly. So that might be why the Earth's, bottom line, we don't know why the Earth's core is hot if God made it that way or if it became that way since creation. But that is certainly the source of the heat that, that we see, uh, in volcanoes where the, the heat, you know, the magnet is able to come up and poke through the, the crust a little bit.
3: Where do you think heaven is? Do you think it's in another dimension?
1: That's a good question. I think the word heaven, when we use it that way, like where, you know, where a believer goes when he dies, refers to the realm of God. And I don't think that's necessarily a physical location because God is a spirit. He's, he's, he's everywhere anyway. He's omnipresent. So um, the Bible doesn't give a lot of information on what's called the intermediate state, the state where you've died, you're a believer in Christ, you know, we know you're with God, but you're, you haven't been resurrected yet. That's called the intermediate state. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information, but it does tell us that those who are in Christ are with God upon the moment of death. So that's the thing that, that I hold on to. And then when we're resurrected, we'll live on the new earth. We'll be physical beings again, live on the new earth. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Hi.
3: Um, I've always kind of been curious about uh, Antarctica. Like, mm-hmm. why can't people go there? And uh, what oh. is there? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um. And, like, what is beyond the, like, Arctic Circle, I
1: guess? Uh, well, people have, I mean, people have gone there. It's just, it's a very unpleasant place to, to live because it's, you're, you're in the Antarctic Circle. So there are, you know, six months out of the year you get virtually no sunlight. That, you know, and then the rest of the year permanent sunlight. It's, it's just really strange. Um, we find evidence of tropical plants in Antarctica fossils of tropical plants. So it didn't always have that climate. It was once warm. And that's universally agreed upon. It's just a question of when. And we as creationists would say before the flood, we think the continents were together. So Antarctica would have been usable. It would have been a usable landmass before the flood. And then during the flood, it's pushed down to its current location where it's not so pleasant to live these days. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank okay. you.
2: Yeah. All right. um, Genesis talks about, sorry, Genesis talks about uh, other species on Earth, like the Nephilim. I was just
0: wondering, where would they fit in, in during the six days? Okay, yeah,
1: I, I don't think the I don't think the nephilim are a different species, and I, and I'll I'll preface this by saying creationists have lots of different answers for this. I'll give you my take on it. Uh, Neph, the nephilim it could be related to the Hebrew word meaning to fall. It could mean fallen ones, and and in, in, you know, people have said, well, they're, they're angels or they're angel human hybrids. I don't I don't I don't buy that. Um, they appear to be fallen humans, human beings that fell away from the faith. It, they're mentioned in, well, the word, the word, again, it can have more than, it, it, words can be used in different ways at different times. The fallen ones, some of the Philistines were also referred to as Nephilim because they, were, they had fallen away from the faith as well. So it's not a species, it's a spiritual condition in my in my view. And the Bible mentions them in uh, Genesis chapter 6, the first four verses there. talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men. Sons of God is a term often attributed to believers in God, especially in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, sons of God, uh, believers. I think it refers to believers marrying unbelievers and falling away from the faith as a result of that. And then the philim are the ones who fall away. That's just my position. Not everybody agrees with it.
3: (laughs) Yeah. In your many
2: encounters with your secular opposites, Can you relay any stories
1: about some of their reservations or doubts with their own models or theories? Yeah. Um, I want to do it in a way that doesn't embarrass them, though, honestly, because I I had a great time at the University of Colorado. Um, I I had some good friends there, and I don't want people to get the impression that, you know, it's it's not a question of intelligence because a lot of these people are a lot more intelligent than I am. Just God opened my eyes, and for some reason he hasn't as yet opened their eyes. That's the only difference. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's, there's an expert over there that I took a class with him. It was, I enjoyed the class. It was a great class. He's an expert on star formation. I don't, I don't think star formation actually happens. I think God created the original stars, and I don't think any have formed since then. I'm not dogmatic about that because the Bible doesn't say they don't form. But, um, but I remember him saying in one of the classes, if anybody can tell me how a blue star forms, let me know. He's one of the world's experts on that topic. And he didn't know how it formed. So that, that gives you a little bit of an insight into um, how much faith a secularist really have. You know, they, they hold on to their position, even though it's, it's got holes in it. They know it's got holes in it. They know that. But again, they don't, they don't like the alternative in many cases. So and I, I'm not going to mention any names, but I, I had a number of encounters at the university like that, just, which I thought was very interesting. Good people, I pray for their salvation, but they have a blind spot. And I think they, on some level, they know it.
2: In Job, it mentions the Behemoth and leviathan, mm-hmm. and I've thought of them as dinosaurs, but I've also heard them referred to as uh, the hippopotamus or the crocodile. Mm-hmm. I don't know. if uh,
1: Yeah, a, I, yeah I, think, uh, I think behemoth was a dinosaur, a sauropod dinosaur, long neck, long tail. I can tell you it's not an elephant or a hippo because it says it moves its tail like a cedar tree. Now, an elephant's tail is not like a cedar tree, and neither is a hippo's. An elephant's mm-hmm. tail is a little rope, a hippo's tail is like a little flap. And some people have tried to get around that because they don't want dinosaurs to live at the same time as people because, you know, we know they're millions of years separated. So uh, they said, well, maybe the, you know, the elephants, maybe it's referring to like a little cedar twig. That's what it's referring to, the elephant's tail. That does not fit the context of, the, of this poetic section of Scripture because it talks about the amazing things about this animal, how, you know, how, you know he, he drinks up the Jordan and, and, and so on. His, his bones are like beams of bronze. And by the way, he's got this little tail like a little twig. No, that doesn't fit. He's got a tail like a cedar tree that moves back and forth. So it's, it, it doesn't fit an elephant. It doesn't fit a hippo. The description doesn't fit. Leviathan, would, I think, is probably a plesiosaur or some limo, similar animal, which are technically not dinosaurs because they're ocean-dwelling creatures. They're, they're, they breathe air, but they live in the ocean, uh, thought, thought to be extinct today. And I know it's not a crocodile because this is when it raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. A crocodile can't get more than a foot off the ground. He can't raise himself up. He's not built for that. They're, they're built in a spraw- sprawling position. But a plesiosaur had a long neck. They could raise that right up. And it was also had the, apparently the ability to produce flames of some sort or of sparks. Because his sparks leap out of his mouth. Smoke goes out of his nostrils. And uh, crocodiles, at least modern ones, don't have that capacity. But, and it talks about strength dwelling in his neck. And I'm thinking, the crocodile doesn't have much of a neck. you know. But a plesiosaur, that would be a great description, having the long neck there. So... I can't be sure that behemoth is a dinosaur or that leviathan is a plesiosaur, but I can be sure it's not an elephant or hippo or a a crocodile because the description doesn't fit.
3: Hi, thank you for your interesting program tonight. It's been a number of years, excuse me, since I've been to one, and it was Ken Ham, the last one, and I uh, got his question and answer book, which has been extremely helpful. Great. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in the medical field, and a number of years back, my understanding—I'm sorry—was that um, scientists. Well, I always have said that God has such a sense of humor that He uses science to prove science wrong in many cases. So, um, but my understanding back then was that a lot of scientists were coming to an understanding that you know the more we look into genealogy and, and DNA and all of that. Their, their understanding is that, okay, we didn't come from pond scum and the Big Bang Theory and all that can't be true. So the title um, Divine Design came out, and there were more and more scientists coming forward and saying, we can't explain this, but it's beyond what we've always thought. In in the scientific field today, since it has been a number of years since I've been you know here mm-hmm. talking to one, are you finding more and more of that? Or are there scientists actually coming to you and saying, hey, I'm finding more things that just don't seem right? I'm not understanding. Because I'm asked a lot of questions mm-hmm. by people, non believers, or people who are new believers. And so I just try to get more numbers behind me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not just one person. Um, are you finding more of that today?
1: Yeah, we get all we get all kinds. There, there are some that have hardened their heart to the point where they won't they won't even talk to mm-hmm. me. There are others that oh that's interesting, but, you know I'm not going to go that way. And then there are others that I've had conversations with and that come around, and that's that's very exciting. I love it it when that happens. It is. I know. And uh, you know anybody who wants to you know come up and talk, maybe there's some here you want to come up and talk to me. I'm happy to do that. Even if you know you say I'm not I'm not sold on this yet. That's that's you know we can we can talk about that. It takes time. It takes time to come around, and the Lord understands that. He's gracious to us. Um, but yeah, we, we, we get all kinds. I'm not suggesting that there's going to be a tremendous movement one way or the other. I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna, what the future brings. I can tell you that if you look back a couple hundred years, it was if you were a scientist, of course you were a Christian. It was, it was almost unheard of to have the opposite. I, one of my, um, I'm a fan of Johannes Kepler. He was a, just a brilliant astronomer. He discovered three laws of planetary motion. And he just had a heart for Jesus, and it's it's fun to read his his writings because you know he 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 didn't think there was any conflict between science and mm-hmm. uh, scripture, so we we get all kinds today.
3: Is that term divine design still out there? Is it? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Thank you. Sure.
2: Go ahead. been debating um, uh, evolution, was talking about um, science and planetary uh, dynamics. I always, occasionally bring up um, the idea that one, or at least one of our planets rotate and revolve in an opposite direction. Mm-hmm. If, if you bring up the law of centric, um, centrifugal motion, if it breaks off, it spins in the same direction. This, at least I forget which one, isn't Venus. Mean, Venus mm-hmm. spins and rotates. They say that it was hit by an asteroid or another planet to make it go in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: like, it's an, well, okay, what's your thought? It's yeah, yeah. I think I think God. It's just exactly backwards from the way you'd expect. It's because Venus is is not, it's not tilted very much. It's just rotating the opposite way, and yeah. The common explanation is it was hit by something that, and uh, I, I I remember doing the calculation at one point to see how how many things would have to hit it, and they'd all have to hit it on the same side. Because one asteroid is not going to reverse the direction like that. You'd have to have several, and they'd all have to hit at a glancing angle. And the, it, it, you can get it to work, but it's, it's ridiculous. You have to hit it with a number of asteroids in the same hemisphere on each time to, to get it to, to stop its initial rotation, which would be the same as the rest of the solar system, and then to back up and go the other way. So I think that the rotation of Venus, while it's not impossible to explain it in a secular sense, it's, it's ridiculous to explain it in a secular sense. Yeah.
0: God has a sense of humor. He's just yeah. gonna mess with your brain yeah. and just say, "Spin that one that way." Yeah. And,
1: you know. And there's and there's a lot of stuff like that in the solar system. There's a lot, like the uh, the um, I actually have a uh, uh, series of articles on the solar system on our website, so you might take a look at that. But the, uh, the Janus and Epimetheus, the moons of Saturn that avoid collision every four years by swapping orbits. It's just it's just phenomenal. It's just amazing the things that God has thought of. So yeah.
2: Hi, how you doing? Uh, thank you for coming out tonight and sharing with us. It's been very, very helpful and very uh, uh, interesting and all. But yeah. I, I ask, are you aware of that uh, archaeological, or I mean, um, the dinosaur bones that were dug up, and a, and I think it was a woman who was, who actually found um, DNA samples out oh. of it, mm-hmm. and how that proves, as, and also, you know, what your opinion is on that, and and mm-hmm. expressing how really they're not a million years old if they can find, uh, what's the term for it, mitochondria? Soft tissue. They soft, found soft tissue, tissue. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mary Schweitzer was the, the scientist that uh, had a T-Rex femur T-rex. and she dissolved away some of the outer portion and inside was soft, stretchy material, clearly blood vessels. I mean, with red blood cells still in them. You can see the red blood cells. You can see the nucleus of the red blood cells. Now, our blood cells are not nucleated, but reptiles have nucleated blood cells. You can right. see the blood cell and the nucleus. And it's funny, they're saying, you know, these things look kind of like blood cells, but that can't be because, you know, it's, this is 67 million years old.
2: What's and so I would world, say, you know, it's very the, compelling
1: evidence that it's recent.
2: And that, has she been uh, attacked for that or is they just saying it's, it's fake? or is that,
1: has... Um, has she been attacked? No, I don't think she's been attacked for it other than I think saying, secularists are upset with her for giving creation of such good ammunition. Uh, really, and, which is a shame because she's, she's a nice lady and she's a good scientist in, in that she reported this discovery that was totally unexpected from her worldview and I appreciate that, that's, that's good honesty but yeah, the, the fact that we, and we're now finding this more and more it's not, the, it's not the only example, we're finding that in many cases when you dissolve away the outer portion of a fossil, there's still soft tissue left inside and it, it's totally unrealistic to think that that lasts millions of years, blood does not last millions of years So uh, it's compelling evidence for for, uh, biblical creation. Now, she hasn't changed her mind, but uh, the secularists are saying, well, this is interesting. There must be a way of preserving this tissue a lot longer than we thought possible. But I would say, no, it's just evidence that the Bible's right. (laughs)
2: There you go. Thank you again. (laughs) My
1: pleasure. Thanks. Last one? Okay.
3: Um, Do you think the Leviathan is a real creature, or do you think it's used more as like a metaphor?
1: I think it's a real creature because if you read the context in Job, Job is, is using things that he created to uh, explain his power to Job. So he talks about a horse, he talks about an eagle, et cetera, et cetera, and then he builds up to these bigger and bigger creatures. It wouldn't make sense for them to switch to something that's mythical. Uh, but you're right to ask because Job is a poetic book. It's written in a poetic sense. But I would say the context demands that these are real creatures that Job was familiar with. Otherwise Job would have said, What are you talking about, God? What what is this behemoth that you're talking about? So it was something that he had seen, apparently. So it's a real creature, both of them.
2: Okay, thank you. My
3: pleasure. All right. Thanks.